here's where you have to know how to drop your golf ball. Sure speeds up play when you have those drop areas. Fowler has dropped the ball twice. The Shambo is going to get a free drop. Something bad has happened if we end up here. This is the drop zone. Ladies and gentlemen, girls and boys, Sean Zock is back on the drop zone across from my co-host, Dylan Chair, as always, but I'm fresh off of vacation. I played a bunch of golf all across England, Scotland, Northern Ireland, and I'm happy to be back hosting this podcast. Dylan, it's great to see you. How are things? You look refreshed, Sean. You look like you've spent a little time in the sunshine. Yeah. And uh, you look like you came back determined to not let Luke Curdenine seize your seat in the uh, host's chair. Yeah. Well, it's always good to to know that you can be replaced. You know, it keeps you humble. And the one thing I'm not worried about is getting replaced by a Brit or a <laughs> British American, a guy who can't really pick sides when it comes to whether he likes England or America better. But um, it's good to be back. And the thesis of what our podcast will be today is me just figuring out what the hell happened since I left. Because basically, I took a hiatus from Twitter, from PGA Tour News at the beginning of the BMW Championship Week. And a lot happened that week. A lot happened this past week at the Tour Championship. And so I'm going to basically ask Dylan a bunch of questions for him to fill me in on everything that I missed. Hopefully that'll help our listeners understand what they missed as well. If you have questions for Dylan, hopefully they're the same questions I have for Dylan. So before we get into that, Dylan, we have to talk about Radmore. Radmore Golf. Have to. It's a privilege, Sean. It is a privilege. Uh, I would like to share that during my vacation, I loaned a pair of Radmore pants to my buddy Adam. Adam was visiting me over from Dallas, and he put a load of laundry in at our Airbnb a little bit too late, a little too close to our tea time, and didn't realize that all of his pants were in there. So he needed a pair of pants. I loaned him my Radmore pants, and suddenly he's like, where'd you get these pants? They fit so well. They're stretchy. They don't restrict any part of my walk or, you know, when I'm bent down to plumb bob for putts or when I'm, you know, trying to enjoy myself through town. There's no restraint on Radmore pants. And uh, I think that's because of the, the microfibers or the way they're designed. You know all about that stuff, Dylan. Anyways, he is going to buy some Radmore where pants. Could, where could he get some, Sean? Where could he acquire some of his own? Yeah, at radmoregolf.com with the promo code DROPZONE, D-R-O-P-Z-O-N-E, for 25% off. And you know what? I saw that there were some corduroys on the uh, Radmore Golf website. Those cords are already like knocked off. There's, they're already like 30% off, so you get 25% off on top of that. They're basically giving you these great pants away at radmoregolf.com. So check it out. Use the code DROPZONE and be like my friend Adam and get yourself a new pair of pants. Wild because those golf cords, they're about to be happening this fall. Sean, it's the end of summer. It's not really. You know, we've still got a few weeks on the calendar, but in the golf world, in the drop zone golf world specifically, there's a real, there's a real kind of end of summer camp feel to things. We've got live golfers about to be leaving. We've got obviously the, the tour season wrapping up, changes afoot, and of course, we have your final days in Scotland. Let's start with that though, because you 
you know, I, I want to deep dive in your summer a little bit more at one point. That could be an episode of its own, Sean Zock exclusive. But what what are your emotions as you're flying out of Scotland tomorrow back to the States? Yep. Was here for 90 days. I think maybe 89 days. I can't tell. I think tomorrow's maybe my 90th day. But it was the perfect amount uh, because June was exciting. I was getting, you know, getting acquainted with everything. I went down to London for the live event. I came back, caddying the Scottish Open. July was the open month. It was the biggest month, I think, of the golf season. Um, the most consequential month or probably tournament of the year. And then August was the come down. And I spent basically all of August thinking, okay, it's probably time to go home, but also thinking, wait, maybe I want to stay here through September. So it was kind of the perfect amount of time if you are thinking about leaving, but maybe thinking about staying for extra amount of time. So it was awesome. Um, and the last I guess two weeks of it were you and me going to Royal Portrush, then mm-hmm. Royal Liverpool, then Royal Troon in consecutive days, three consecutive, uh, three days, Breaking three countries. news. I don't think yeah. anyone even knows this. Yeah. Well, content is coming very soon from you and I on that front. But right after that, I raced back to Scotland for eight rounds in eight days with two friends. Um, this is not a brag, but it, Ultimately, it will be, become a brag. We played Ely. The next day, we played Royal Aberdeen. The next day, we played Cruden Bay. The next day, we played Carnoustie's Championship Course. The next day, we played the old course. You may have heard of that one. The day after that, we played the new course, which is, you know, less heralded sister of the old course. The day after, yeah, the day after that, we played North Berwick. And then finally, we played Dumbarney. Um, it was... It was an incredible two weeks. Um, my coworkers probably don't even know all about that stuff, so they're probably yeah. Quite well, jealous. all summer you've done a pretty good job of not being the you know linksy golf trip guy, which I think you've just violated. But happy <laughs> for you. Also, I heard you went career low. Yeah, career low, uh, seventy six. Which that's is, low. That's I mean, how many times have you broken eighty? Probably broken eighty like three or four times. Okay, and uh, it's, it was a That's par seventy. Distinctly mid seventies. Yeah, seventy six. Yeah, four over, um, and notably with just one birdie. It's not like I made four birdies and wow, uh, you know, it was just just plodding along. Five bogeys, one birdie, and twelve pars. And frankly, hopefully he's listening, but. We're playing some golf with a buddy named Kevin soon. He's like perpetually just a better golfer than I am. And mm-hmm. he's a big drop zone fan. And that is just a little warning of what's coming back to the States. <laughs> All right. Any tips for your listeners on how they too can drop five strokes or, you know, f- 15 if, if you're heralding back to our last couple rounds together? It's not hard to pause at the top of your swing or at least think that you're pausing. If you have a, an issue with your tempo... If you flare your hips a little quicker than uh, your shoulders, or if you try and slowing down and you flare your shoulders a little bit quicker than your hips, just think about pausing at the top. There's a reason why Hideki does it, why Sung J M mm. does it, why Cameron Young does it. It's kind of a resetting of things in your mind as you get ready for the downswing. So that is my key at the moment. Let's stop talking about me though. Let's talk about the PGA Tour. What do you uh, want to know? I want to know a number of things. Basically, it all starts with 
it feels like the PGA Tour is winning now, and I want you to to tell me why they are winning the battle at this exact moment now versus Live Golf. Okay. Well, at this exact moment, it does feel that way. It it may even swing while we're recording this podcast because yeah. it's Monday morning on the West Coast. We are expecting a live announcement midday-ish on the East Coast. It's interesting, actually, Sean, that the announcement has not come out yet because in the past that has meant that they are literally kind of down to the wire finalizing yeah. some details. Um, there's some questions about whether... A uh, certain Chilean duo will be included in this announcement, whether they'll come instead after the President's Cup, whether they are somehow actually just rumored and not going to be involved. Anyway, to your to your point, to your question, why does it feel like the PGA Tour is winning the battle right now? Because they finally got a little momentum back, Sean. They unveiled uh, a new super schedule, essentially, what we on this Drop Zone podcast have been calling for for no over shit. a year. <laughs> over a year. I mean, there's a lot to dive into on this because, uh, you know, the the folks that support the Live Tour or at least hate the anti-Live stuff are saying, hey, look, they're just taking what Live is taking. And they say no. They probably just listened to some drop zone late 2021 <laughs> podcasts and wised up a little bit. So specifically, what happened? The PGA Tour got all its best players together, all its top names, and got in the same room and and got everyone on board with the idea that okay, we're all going to play the same elevated events. Yep. So that's a new term for people that they need to oh, pay attention it's to. The elevated best. events. It's the best term. I'm excited to use it in so many different contexts. At capital E, capital E, elevated event. So what are the elevated events? We have the, well, the three FedEx Cup playoff events. Uh, we have the three invitationals. So the Genesis, the Arnold Palmer, the Memorial. We've got the WGC Dell match play, which, you know, you could argue if you've got 13 WGCs now, do you even have one? But uh, then there's the Century Tournament of Champions. And uh, then there's the Players, which is like the mega elevated event. It's it's like in a category of its own. Um, then there are four additional elevated events, which have not been announced yet. That's pretty exciting. All the elevated events are going to end up with $20 million purses, or at least an average of $20 million purses the century tournament champions might still be at 15. Um, and then you also have the four majors. So we're going to see the same top players, the top 20 in the pip, or maybe the top 20 in the FedEx cup standings. It's like a little bit murky the way they phrased it, but essentially we're going to see the top 20 players and essentially all the top players on the PGA tour in the same field, 17 times throughout the season. Then there's three more promised events that those pros will play elsewhere on the PGA Tour. So they'll sprinkle in a couple smaller events too. Um, so we're going to see all these guys 20 times. We're going to see them all together 17 times. They're going to play for a lot more money. Uh, the player impact program has gone way up. And essentially, everyone got together with Rory and Tiger in the same room and agreed on these changes. It seems like they have kept a few guys from leaving. Cam Young... Hideki Matsuyama. It seems like Adam Scott is also staying too. So, and Ricky Fowler, of course, <laughs> Tiger Woods' uh, seatmate in his in his Nissan rental car, which he drove to this meeting, 
which is, I mean, a whole number of ways to go with just that scene alone. Um, but yeah, it feels like the PGA Tour has some momentum back because of this moment. Is Tiger Woods a top player? That's a good question because based on the rules that have been set out and based on what you have to do to earn your player impact program money, Tiger Woods, the winner of the inaugural player impact program, is not going to be in the pip. He's not going to get, you know, some people saw this as essentially like a way to just keep paying Tiger Woods over the years. He's not going to be able to play enough events to earn his top prize. So I think we're seeing 20 guys that are not Tiger Woods. Yeah. Uh, Is Max Homa a top player? Yes. Well, Max Homa is just now a top player, pretty much however you would define it, right? He's a top 20 player in the world. He is going to be a president's cupper. Uh, He is quite good at golf. Um, And I think, let's see, what is his world ranking? Is 20 on the dot. So that would put him well in line to be a top player. Is Sung J.M. a top player? Uh, He's a top player by top 20 on the PGA Tour metric. But is he a top player in the player impact program? That's a little bit more TBD. I would love it if he was. I feel like there's a lot more that we need to learn about Sungjae. Yep. What hides behind that smile. Is but Shane uh, he Lowry played like a top player. A top player. Shane Lowry is somehow outside the top 20 on the on the uh in the world rankings right now. But yeah, he's definitely a top player. All right. So I asked all those questions to kind of help people just understand like as much as elevated event is a new phrase that we're going to hear a lot more of top player is going to be used just as much and probably even more than that. Can uh, I revise though my Shane Lowry answer? Because that dude somehow missed the tour championship. Yeah. So he is actually arguably not a top player, but he, I guess I feel confident that by this time next year, he mm. will be a top player. The exercise is more so to, to help draw the boundary. Um, because top players will be discussed from essentially now until forever uh, in this program and particularly next year in these events um, and how important these top players are in terms of the PGA Tours like future schedule, the future TV sponsorship uh, contracts and how, how valuable that is. Like these people matter and the PGA Tour is saying that they matter and they are defining it by the player impact program, by the PIP, by these various hopefully unbiased metrics that create an algorithm that spit out, okay, you are the most important players to this tour. Frankly, a a month ago, I thought the PIP was going to get killed. I really thought that it could get killed because it was only guaranteed for two years and uh, it was it had grown to 50 million and I thought it was going to die because I don't think a lot of people liked it. And I'm surprised that they are doubling down on it as as the metric of favor. Um, I guess it's really a metric of metrics, but it matters more than anything else, essentially. Like the matters, the, the majors matter the most. The FedEx Cup matters a lot, but then the, then it's the pip, right? Like it that's what matters next to these players. And uh what is interesting about that to me is that it's not transparent totally what creates the pip what uh what factors are going to be uh mm-hmm. at least week by week and month by month important to us i think nothing matters not much matters more than the pip right now and to me that's a bit of a surprise 
Yeah, I would agree with that. And I think what social media has gotten taken out of it because I think it was just increasingly difficult to figure out probably like what a follower or a view or engagement means on TikTok versus Instagram versus Twitter versus Facebook and you know where the yeah Jay Monahan was basically like yeah I don't get this stuff we took that out (laughs) so we don't really know how that's all going to be determined I think the theory is that the better you play the more likely you are to be in the pip but it also doesn't seem like being in that pip will get you exempt specifically to these top events. Jay was very, very confusing on this point because he has essentially said that these top players will play in all these events, but they also still have to be qualified for these events. So Ricky Fowler will not on his own be qualified based off his play for some of these invitationals, uh, but I would imagine he'll be in the top 20 in the player impact program yeah. just based mm-hmm. off his stature. And so... Jay did leave open the opportunity for like, yeah, we would we could see something with sponsors, invites or something like that. And that's mm-hmm. how someone like Ricky or even someone like Tiger would get into some of these smaller fields. I think one thing that was confusing based on some reporting uh, and maybe some stuff that was discussed in that meeting were the idea that these would be really limited fields, small fields, like 60 players, no cut. That we have not seen any indication that that is reality yet. I think a lot of this stuff is still in flux, but um, our guy Shipnik was reporting that as something that was strongly being considered. And I would say that has not been implemented yet. Yeah. And that would not, I don't think be good. And I think maybe this outpouring of news that we saw at the tour championship uh, was expedited because there's not an important tour event happening for a while. And, <laughs> This is why this was always going to be the month uh, that the PGA Tour could own um, and Liv was not going to be able to own. Mm -hmm. Uh, Fun question here. Will the PIP get a sponsor? Because I think it has to. They've had the Comcast, you know, whatever, top 10. They've had the FedEx Cup for so many years. They've had the Aon Risk Reward. Like all these things that dish out a bunch of money. And have meaning within the the top ranks of the PGA Tour have always been sponsored. I would bet that the PIP's going to get a sponsor here soon. Drop Zone, <laughs> the, but don't the PIP like, presented by it? Drop Zone. The Quicken Loans, the Rocket Mortgage Player Impact Program, like it's going to be something it's that so, everyone talks it's about. It's such big money that, like, I wonder how much of the PIP you would have to pay to get that sponsorship because it's what two hundred mil. Well, it's out. No, no, sorry, 100, 100 mil rather to 20 players. So that's a serious chunk of change. But maybe if you just subsidize a little bit of the PIP, I don't know. If anyone wants to kind of do a combo deal, sponsor the PIP and the drop zone for 2023, reach out. One further question. Is it possible that this aggregation of the top players could have a little fizzle to it if John Rahm says, you know what? just looking at my schedule, I don't want to play in the seventh elevated event of the year and just said, you know, I don't, I don't need that pit money that's coming to me, the 6 million extra. Cause I don't need all the money. Like as silly as that might sound like, isn't that a possible means for undercutting this great promise? Yeah. I don't fully understand the binding nature of it and, and what happens if you don't accept that. Yeah. Maybe you're not 
eligible for your PIP money. But if you're even if you're not John Rahm, but say you are Shane Lowry or someone that's probably going to be further down on that list, um, I'm not sure what the ramifications really are. And if there's really a reason why you, you know, other than sacrificing like a half million dollars, why you wouldn't be able to. John Rahm is a particularly interesting case because he he made a, a little offhanded remark this weekend that seemed to suggest he is not overly impressed with the way Rory and Tiger have been the only two voices publicly involved with this. It was hard to tell how much that was joking, how much it was serious, but it's definitely something that he's aware of. And I imagine something that other guys have been talking about too. James Hahn, certainly. Um, But this sense that, okay, now the tour is going top heavy. The tour, in my opinion, should be going top heavy. It's the only way that they can hope to compete with live is by better rewarding its its top players uh but there is bound to be a little bit of backlash that goes along with that and obviously rory is all in on this plan we've heard him talking about that we've heard a few other guys also talking about it but when you have someone like john rom who also wants to support the dp world tour and wants to be eligible for the Ryder cup and also doesn't want to play a zillion events because you know he's got a couple young kids at home and and wants to spend time there too i think it's not all as simple as it might seem at first yeah um one small addendum i think this is huge for the arnold palmer invitational oh Uh, that's a good point i mean so this is a big winner that has always been directly after the honda classic which is held honda classic is the beginning of the florida swing arnold palmer invitational was always next then it was often the players championship right after that and so since riviera has become such an elevated event players were often getting done with that in la and thinking okay i'm gonna play in florida but i don't know where i'm definitely gonna play the players do i need to play the week before that at the arnold palmer they really only got like half of the big names to play scotty scheffler won last year he outdueled Victor Hovland, I believe Rory was playing. Rory might not have actually played this year. I can't remember. But it was one of those things where you would get a number of the top pros, but not all of them because of the spot on the calendar. Now that it's an elevated event and they're promising that the best players will all be there, that event is it's just going to have a much, much better field and be worth much more to the winner. The, the purse is increased a uh, huge amount. So big win for Arnie's event. Um there's other stuff though, Dylan. Well, there is- let's let's just stay on that for one second. I mean, that is a we're going to get into the season hot through that <laughs> stretch because we're talking about a bunch of elevated events right in a row. So there's Bay Hill is going to be March second to fifth. The very next week is the players. Yep. And then you have one week off, and then you have the match play. Yep. And then you have and, a couple weeks off before the Masters, but it's you know that's, that's all three a couple tournaments weeks in four after weeks, Riv. and that's all. Yeah, that's only with one week off after Riv. So guys are going to be into the full swing. You could totally see the the tour elevating, maybe on a rotating schedule. The Farmers Insurance Open one year, or uh, yeah, quickly after the Masters, the the Wells Fargo Championship one year, and so. The PGA Tour, I think, with this in mind, is not only trying to get its players together, but trying to do it during a specific 
two month schedule right after the NFL is over, right before the NFL takes over, yeah. trying to own specific months. It's all very. It's purposeful. a little bit of a hit to the waste management. Well, that thing has become, in my mind, like, and and I'm in the minds of, I would say, my casual sports fan friends, that is one of the most iconic PGA Tour events. It's the biggest yeah. party on tour. Knowing that top players are going to have to play, be required to play four of the next six weeks um, leading up to the Masters, I I do wonder what that does to people's schedules if they are more likely to skip that event because of that. Bound to happen in 2024. I don't think 2023 only because the Super Bowl is going to be there the same week. Mm. I think golfers. Everyone wants those <laughs> tickets. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so there's this other thing called the earnings assurance program. Oh, yeah. And the way I understand it is it's basically a league minimum, right? Like 500 grand it's to a every minimum. player who earns a it's tour brilliant, card. It's brilliant, Sean. Hey, who else was talking about that? Who was? The drop zone. Absolutely. But the key element to this is that it's paid against future earnings. Absolutely crucial. So instead of just sending 500K, you know, instead of just sending half million dollar checks out the door at the start of the season, they are actually doing some of that, but it's credited against your future earnings. So everyone that plays on the PGA Tour is guaranteed. Everyone who is a full member of the PGA Tour is guaranteed a half million dollars. But and I talked a little bit about this with Luke last week. It's brilliant because all these guys make a half million dollars anyway. They all do. Like almost, I don't want to say every single one because there are guys that go through some rough stretches, but we're talking about a plan that sounds as though it would uh, require, you know, paying out 60, $70 million if you're paying everyone. No, this is this is going to be a spending of two or three million dollars from the PGA Tour. And what they get in return is the trust of every player, because now it's something you can instantly point to of like, hey, look, this isn't the tour anymore where you're packing everyone in the family sedan, driving to the next tournament, stopping at Burger King, you know, trying to make ends meet. Like if you're on the PGA Tour, you are going to make a lot of money. Uh, even if you're one of these guys that spends a lot of money, you should still be able to save some money, put it in the bank, et cetera, et cetera. Having this $500,000 floor means that you are not just rewarding the top guys. You're also putting in a base level for the guys that will not be in the pip. Yeah. And it's, it's, I think it'll become only problematic when like a PGA tour rookie who is going to get the money up front you know, makes his way through the first few months of the season and plays pretty well, but not amazingly <laughs> and, and is kind of waiting to actually have a paycheck that matters. Um, but it's, it's a freedom of, of, uh, mindset where basically a guy like Martin trainer, our boy, a couple years ago was not in the running to make 500 K, uh, through mm-hmm. his performances. And, it just frees up his mind that, hey, I can spend this there and I can spend that there and I know that I'm going to be okay because I'm going to get this money eventually or up front. And that's, that is something that we talked about months ago. Like That should be the prize. That is the prize for graduating from the Corn Ferry Tour or from the PGA Tour 
um, college program or any of these ways that you get onto tour, that's, that's the prize that you earn is that freedom. Um, and again, it's not like the most freedom in the world. It's not like the PGA tour has made a $1 million league minimum, but it's a, it's a freedom to grind if you need to, and not worry about all these other little things that come along with providing, I don't know, a stable lifestyle for you, your family, your agent, your yeah, whatever. So that's in my huge. mind, it's just a guarantee from the PGA tour and it, there's no real financial hit to the actual tour. So brilliant. Mm-hmm. Uh, then there's also $5,000 stipend to players who miss the cut. Yes. This is for, this is for non full members. So if you're, if you are getting your 500 K, I don't think you're getting the $5,000. This is for, okay. Who's an example? Let's use Martin trainer again, Martin trainer next year. Um, unless he plays really well at the corn Ferry tour championship this week, then he will have partial status on the PGA tour next year. He'll be in that next category. I think he was 138 or 139 on the final standing. So outside that 125. So next year, if he goes to a PGA tour event, gets in the field, misses the cut, he will not lose money for the week because Martin trainer frugal cat spends <laughs> not spending a lot of money. So uh $5,000 stipend will be enough to cover his expenses. And I think that is what the tour wanted to get across is like, Hey, look, we don't, we think it's a bad look for our guys to go to our tournaments and come away with less money than they started. So yeah, that's a nice touch. It's just creating this elevated, um, position in the game because no other league is going to do this besides live golf and uh be able to do this so the the pga tour is is vaulting itself up there to a level that the european tour can't get to and it's just making things all a little bit rosier to make sure that hey guys like uh Eugenio Chikara, who is committed to live golf as the top amateur in the world or one of the top amateurs in the world. Look, that's one thing. That's that thing over there. We still have a really good thing over here and it's not going to be as much of a grind fest as people have probably promised you that it will be. So good decisions all around. Yeah. And let's, I want to just bring up a couple counter arguments, I guess. So one thing I've have definitely seen a lot in response to this is, wow, I thought money was bad and none of this was about the money. And okay, definitely just a straw man argument. I don't think that anyone, anyone who you should be listening to was saying, hey, these guys shouldn't play for any money. That's not the point. Uh, I think the, the point that various people have made is money should not be the only deciding factor. I mean, Eddie Pepperell came on this podcast and said that money in and of itself is not the only factor in making a decision. For some people, it really is just maximizing value however you can. But uh, I think that I don't think any serious person was saying, hey, look, they should actually be playing for less money. So in this case, more money. Is it a better thing for the fans? Um, maybe not directly because, you know, it doesn't necessarily really matter, but it's a better thing for the fans because more players are getting together at the same tournaments. And also they're staying on the PGA tour instead of heading for live, except the guys who aren't. All right. 
We have reached the 33 minute mark. I've got a couple more important questions for you, Dylan. First thing, yeah. what has been James Hahn's deal recently? <laughs> oh man. Well, we might need another 33 minutes just to unpack the James Hahn enigma. Um, I would say James Hahn has morphed into asking a lot of questions guy. You know, he's, he's just, he's not necessarily here with solutions, but he is here no. to point no. out what he sees as some little hypocrisies of the PGA tour. <laughs> he has definitely worked his way into some mind pretzels of his own. Um, but it seems like he is arguing that the tour shouldn't only emphasize rewarding the top players more, although he definitely also contradicts that point. I, I, I don't know. To summarize, he's been popping off on Twitter, and then he talked to Adam Shupak from Golf Week last week. Um, and I don't think that there's a unifying theory of James Hahn, except he sits on uh, he sits in an important seat on the PGA for a couple tour. more months. And he was the lone dissenting voice on this uh, plan. And it's a little bit hard to say why, but he seems extremely pro-live. Yes. So the policy board, as we've discussed, is currently nine people. It is four players, of one of which is James Hahn, and five essential business leaders from across uh, pretty much the American business landscape. And... In order to put things through, make PGA Tour changes, the policy board has to vote on it. And James Hahn was the one dissenting vote. And that just adds up because over the last month or so, James Hahn has been raising these questions, as you said, uh, without a whole lot of solutions, just kind of stirring the pot and doing so in an oddly pro-live uh, <laughs> lean and it's been extremely hard to understand for me being looking at the the guy who's on the policy board has one of the most important positions and votes in terms of PGA Tour membership. And he's just kind of making live golf's case in a number of ways and then poking holes through whenever the PGA Tour comes out with something new. So that's just been odd. It's been very, 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 very odd. And so for him to to dissent from what Rory and Tiger and the Band of Brothers put together... It made sense, and it just kind of capped off what was a really weird couple of months this summer for James Hahn. And what is most interesting, Dylan, is that James Hahn in four months will not be on the PGA Tour policy board anymore. The players on the board were Rory, Kisner, Charlie Hoffman, and James Hahn. Charlie Hoffman and James Hahn are going to get booted out in January. Coming in after them will be Patrick Cantlay, I think Webb Simpson and maybe Peter Malnati. I can't remember who the, the last one is there. But either way, the point is <laughs> James Hahn holding this position is barely relevant any longer. Um, and so people don't really have to worry about that. James Hahn's voting privileges will be rendered back to the same level as a lot of PGA Tour pros. Um, and that might be a little too deep for our listeners. But if you're confused by the James Hahn stuff, just, just check his Twitter feed. Just, <laughs> just see what he's been up to. Actually, had a couple of funny tweets about flying Spirit Airlines over the uh, over the weekend. I'm not. I'm sure he had a, some sort of angle there, but it feels like we are losing the golfers 
on Twitter thing. Like there was a little bit of a spike of, you know, pros being authentic via social media. It seems like now we have regressed into pros um, hiring professionals to do that sort of thing. Probably better for their golf games. Um, but, you know, apart from a few guys, we're not getting a ton of interaction from the biggest names on Instagram and Twitter. So no. it's good. It's good for James Hahn to be out there mixing it up. If he's a little uh, inconsistent, we all are. <laughs> um, Patrick Reed, uh, in my opinion, he owns this little corner of the golf playpen. And instead of just kind of sitting in that corner now, he's decided to light it on fire. He is taking Brandel Shambly to court, trying to at least uh, in a defamation lawsuit. This isn't mm -hmm. as new of news as some of the stuff we've discussed, but I would like you to explain in simple terms why Patrick Reed is doing this if you can. Well, there's the what and there's the why. The what is that Patrick Reed is suing Brandel Shambly for $750 million for, <laughs> in his mind, saying mean things about him um, and being unfair. I think the why is a little bit more complex. I think it's I think it's I think it's appalling. I think it's horrible behavior. I think that if you're an athlete, you open yourself up to a level of scrutiny about your actions, especially inside the arena. And uh, I don't doubt that Patrick Reed has gotten a raw deal from, you know, from the media deserved and, you know, maybe undeserved. But I think Brandel is a guy that has always done his homework and has certainly always tried to get things right. So the fact that you, you essentially have, you know, a strong PGA tour player, a guy that's been good. He's been a master's champ. He's been a Ryder cupper, all these things trying to think of an equivalent of Patrick Reed in a different sport, suing a commentator for being critical of their stuff. It, it just wouldn't happen. And I only know Patrick Reed a little bit. This doesn't feel like something that he on his own would do, but just mm. based on the interactions I've had with him. What um, are you implying there? I'm implying that he's getting some bad advice and <laughs> that whoever said, Hey Patrick, this will be this will be great. This will make you look awesome. Let's sue, you know, one of the biggest names in golf media for seven hundred and fifty million dollars. <laughs> what if he won? You know? How's he gonna collect? You think Brandel's worth three quarters of a bill? I don't get it. I don't get this whole thing. I maybe it's to try to get other media members to back off. Yes. Like like everyone like us. But in the process, am I wrong that like Tiger and Rory have now been roped into this? Uh well, they've been whatever. They've they've been I mean you want to know someone that doesn't have a ton of legal knowledge and is trying not to pretend like I do? It's me. But I, my impression would be if Patrick Reed's lawyer just says, hey, we want to talk to Tiger and Rory, then they could also be like, hey, we're good. Yeah. So it's we'll just see. a point that Patrick Reed has, has put his name at the exact front of a legal complaint that no one believes is valid and in the process has has theoretically asked for Tiger and Rory to take the stand eventually on this thing. Mm -hmm. And 
none of that is going to happen. You don't have to worry about this happening. That said, Patrick Reed went to live golf and no one cared. People who really liked the PGA Tour and disliked Patrick Reed were probably okay with it. Very happy with it, maybe even. Not a lot of people cared that he went to live golf compared to Bryson going or Cam Smith eventually going or Dustin Johnson going. And so he 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 receded into this tiny little corner of the playpen and he's lighting it on fire by by bringing in Brandel, but by essentially giving a middle finger to anyone in golf media saying like, this is what happens when you criticize me. And in the process has very, 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 very loosely roped in Rory and Tiger. Yeah. And so it's, it is crazy. I mean, he, Tiger was friendly with P Reed. Yes. They were, they were Ryder cup partners. They would chop it up. Like it's just a sign of how far things have deteriorated, I guess. And look, in fairness to Patrick Reed, the PGA tour should miss Patrick Reed. He was an interesting character. Um, there's a few of these guys that the PGA tour a hundred percent misses. I'd never want to minimize that. Like Brooks Kepka is a massive loss for the PGA tour and remains that way. Because if he was still on the side of the tour, it would be a lot easier for them to make the argument of like, this is anti-competitive and this league is for people that don't care about winning majors. Brooks Kepka's whole thing forever was all about just winning the big events, just winning the mm-hmm. majors. It still is weird to me that he's over there. And, uh, and I think if he was on the PGA tour, that would be a huge asset. Assuming Cameron Smith does indeed go today, that will be a huge loss for the PGA tour. Um, there is a siphoning of, uh, of some big time international names that's happening. Plus this aging crop of Ryder cuppers on, I guess, both the U S and European sides. What is tomorrow sports? It's funny hearing you say it tomorrow because it's just T-M-R-W, oh but yeah, it, it equals tomorrow. <laughs> I had a good time writing this out. I was, I was writing a description of the whole thing last week, and it's okay. So to break it down, T-M-R-W, in, in there, you have the initials T-W, and you have the initials R-M. So that's Tiger Woods and Rory McIlroy. Together, they make T-M-R-W. Together, that makes tomorrow which essentially is a golf slash sports company that will help bring additional uh, exposure to top PGA Tour players, will help the PGA Tour theoretically. In the short term, what it means is that Tomorrow Sports is bringing a stadium golf product to the world. And what that more specifically means is a little bit unclear, but uh, they released some details at the Tour Championship in which there will be 18 players, six teams of three, playing three versus three competitions on Monday nights in starting in January 2024. So we're over a year out from this. Um, Tiger and Rory will both be participating. And what the competition is, is a little bit unclear, but it's some sort of uh, simulator, real life hybrid. So how I'm envisioning it is like guys will be hitting into a screen on a simulator, but then the arena in front of a live audience, but then that arena will also feature an actual green and short game area. So I'm not 
clear at what point you switch from like the screen thing to the real life thing. But based on the renderings and the fans and the renderings look pumped. So I have no doubt (laughs) this will be a hit. Um, Yeah, this will be a Monday night golf thing. And I think it's supplemental to the PGA Tour. I, I don't think it's trying to be more serious than it is. Uh, it seems fun. I don't know if it'll be my bag, but I'm sure I'll check it out. Dude, uh, anytime you get to see, you don't know if it'll, it'll be your bag. No maybe one it'll has totally appreciated my bag. <laughs> no one has appreciated these uh, challenges between Tom Brady and Phil Mickelson and Tiger and Peyton more than you have. You have always valid. Like I've watched very, like every minute of yeah, those things. Yeah, exactly. You've always just like sworn you're going to dip your toe in, and then suddenly you're tweeting throughout and you're just enwrapped by <laughs> all of it. So don't act like you're not going to be tuned into this thing. I really want to dive into an episode of Holy Moly at some point and just see, because I have not watched even one minute of it. And oh, it's awesome. <laughs> more people watch that than most like tour events. So um, yeah, it would be, it'd be a shame for me not to. Yeah. Uh, I have no further questions, Your Honor, for today's wow. podcast. Um, that's pretty great. Uh, should we talk about like the tour championship at all? <laughs> yeah, I kind of wish Scotty Scheffler won because oh, Rory's won a bunch of these things now, and I just i I feel like it would be you worried about Scotty's finances. No, I just kind of wish got in, in over his head a little bit. Pulled the trigger Saturday night. I just night want someone new property. to be added to that trophy. I want mm. someone new to be added to it. And Scotty's season trumps Rory's. Yeah, times out of ten. I mean, it does. <laughs> Rory sort of apologized for winning it. Both would have been fitting winners. Scotty would have been the most deserving. Uh, Rory most deserving from like a a season long golf perspective. Rory because he has been the the PGA Tours knight uh, and taken up his sword in defense of the tour. So both pretty fitting. I was glad it got tight on Sunday because it was a really pretty thrilling back and forth going on. Rory was an extremely fitting winner because of that. It's Actually, easy to go over the top with that stuff. And I'm sure that, you know, I'm sure I will to some extent, but like, you know, the same week that Rory leads this meeting, and makes these announcements he also wins the richest prize on the pga tour that's pretty fitting yeah i actually kind of wish sungjae would have won because Mm. when i caddied for joel damon i was staying in the i guess you could call it the caddy hotel rather than the like the players hotel they basically had two hotels that were going to be saved for players and caddies one in north barrack one in like edinburgh and the one in Edinburgh was probably 45 minutes away from the course. And the one in North Barracks about a 10-minute drive. And uh, the one in Edinburgh was just a lot harder to get shuttles to and from. And it was just a lot harder existence. Um, and Sungjae and his parents were staying in the Edinburgh one. Stop it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I saw Sungjae's dad just like smoking cigarettes every time I ever saw him outside the... Uh, no way, I did not realize that. And I just get the feeling that if Sungjae cleared 18 million yesterday, you know, look, he, he cleared plenty. I think he probably cleared five or six yesterday. 
but if he cleared 18, they're probably not staying at the, uh, the Malmaison in, in a little corner of Edinburgh. They're probably shelling out for the Marine North Barrack. Man, that's interesting. There's a lot in there. Um, I think if, assuming that they just continue to have the tour championship at Eastlake every year, that's really good news for Xander Shoffley and it's really good news for Sungjae because those two torch the place. They both yeah. love it. Sungjae is like a local. And I think partly he moved there because he realized how good a business decision it was uh, to be playing regularly at Eastlake and be familiar. And I mean, it really is in terms of bang for your buck. Like these guys should be leaving Jupiter and just getting to know no, the Atlanta area pretty silly. well. <laughs> they don't, they don't have any income taxes down in Jupiter. No, this is true. That's a, that's a pretty good business decision also. Um, yeah, what else did we learn at the Tour Championship? I mean, Rory's season, I think, deserves its own deep dive. Um, I'm working on my Monday finished column right now, and I think that that'll be the focus. But in some ways, it's the ultimate Rory season of late. Like, yep. heartbreak and close calls at the majors, and then some inspiring wins and finishes at consolation prizes that mean a lot but are still consolation prizes. They don't mean like anything to him. I want someone to win the tour championship who's like, damn right, I want 18 million. Rory doesn't give a damn. Like Cameron Smith yeah. also doesn't give a damn, allegedly, about money because he was asked last year or at the players this year, hey, what would you do with you know $15 million? Uh, and he said, uh, you know, maybe buy more fishing equipment or something like that. Yeah. Like I'm, I'm so excited for the tour championship to be won by someone who's like, huh, now I can finally buy a yacht. Rory's like the ultimate tragic figure. He's wept at the Ryder cup and then he won the CJ cup, you know, <laughs> like he went through this run of, of close calls at majors and then he wins the Canadian open. Like he falls short at the open championship, takes yeah. two weeks off, eats a bunch of bunch of carbs comes back and wins the tour championship which is a big big prize it is the season ending culmination of the pga tour but it still has a little bit of hollowness to it like there is a there's a lack of meaning there that i know will continue to eat him up and it's way better for him to win these things than not to but yeah <laughs> for a guy that cares a lot about legacy and and wants majors more than anything he came really close this year and it felt like just you know i mean played better when it was slightly less important to him rory if you want us if you're listening and you want us to change this conversation or any of the future conversations to a little bit more positivity maybe rory mcelroy inc should sponsor the drop zone oh yeah suddenly then we'll be pro rory <laughs> Um, I mean, yeah, final word is just that he played incredibly well on Sunday. He needed help from Scotty Scheffler, who shot, I think, the worst round in the field. Um, yikes, it's not, it doesn't feel really like a course where there should be that much disparity. Like, there aren't that many places where you can, where you should be making like double and triple bogeys, but I don't know. Rory started his tournament with a triple and. Despite Scheffler winning four times this year, 
and contending yeah. at the U.S. Open and sneaky contending at the Open and contending at East Lake and everything. He has definitely shown a couple times this year where if his putter isn't agreeing with him, it's like hardly, it's very, very much disagreeing with him. He, he hit a putt. I can't remember what hole it was on the back nine. It was, I think it was 16, maybe it was 15. Uh, he had a putt, it was like eight feet and it missed the hole by like four inches. Yeah. It was never close. You maybe yeah, he hit it in tight for birdie and yeah, did not even sniff it for a while. He was hitting putts that almost went in and then it was like, yeah, yeah. that putt he, was worrisome. He, he hit occasionally it seems to lose, lose that very necessary feel to keep you around the hole um, and to make eight to 10 footers. And when he has it, yeah, it's the number one player in the world. Um, but he seems to just lose it in ways that don't add up for the other top players. Um, at least, you know, maybe, maybe we're just seeing him on TV more. Um, but I think maybe speed can get that way too. It just, it feels like he's like, Whoa, something is very much not right with his putter right now. And you don't really see it turning around. So that would be my takeaway from Scotty yesterday. We saw him do it at the Colonial, I think, when he lost and Sam Burns came back and Scheffler's putter was kind of off for him that entire Sunday. Um, so that there's there's more than more than nothing there. Yeah. I mean, I think it's always actually the most underrated part of his game is his scrambling, his ability to just get into trouble and then do exactly the right thing, get out of it really very good and creative like chipper of the ball um but yeah for whatever reason whether it was playing for 18 mil whether it was like the the weirdness of starting with the lead and then just trying to hang on to it and playing yeah. defensive golf instead of something else like he just lost control of his swing a little bit and a little bit of a bummer a little bit of a damper on an epic year does it does it matter besides the the 11 mil like this is a this is a dude who still drives around this super old uh, suburban and yeah, do, like money doesn't seem to matter to him. Well, he's and, made a record amount of money yeah. this year. Yeah, so, so that yeah. helps make it not matter. That's like when Rory was saying yesterday. Oh well, the money matters the least to me of anyone in the field. And it's I mean I think he was acknowledging this, but the reality of that statement is. Yes, because you have by far the most money of anyone here. You have, you know, say, luckily Tiger's not playing and Phil's not playing. But other than that, you know, you would have more money than any of these guys. Yeah. The only person who could who could maybe come close would be DJ. Um, well, now. Yeah. <laughs> Especially... Especially now. Uh, all right. Well, that's all I've got for today. I need to uh, finish packing up. It's 7 p.m. here. I'm flying back to the States and we'll be able to podcast a lot uh, a lot more efficiently in the future. So I appreciate End of summer, Sean. The, I appreciate it new the things. Exciting things for everyone. to us. <laughs> I know. Um, who knows what the drop zone is going to be looking like in the 2022-23 season? Well... We, we have a general idea. <laughs> They're probably like, probably like similar, but even better. All right. We'll see you soon. We'll see you then. We'll see you in the new... Hey, see you next season. <laughs> Sounds good. <laughs>